Our lesson this week is about uplifting the energy. The visualization will now go through. Feel as if we are, for a moment, sitting under a cloud-covered sky. Visualize the way the sky looks when the sun is obscured. And then imagine, as you have seen, that the sun breaks through at one point and you can see these beautiful sun rays coming down through the clouds. And one realizes that the sun has always been shining. The clouds merely obscured the view for a moment. Now in our visualization, let us move ourselves directly in alignment with that sun ray. and feel as if that single ray of light or those rays of sunlight were pouring down directly onto our upturned face. Do we feel that light penetrating through the spiritual eye? And regardless of what the environment around us is now, Our reality is entirely defined by that descending light. And even as that light descends, we also feel ourselves rising up to meet it. The body may remain stationary, but the consciousness is free of the body and lifts upward to meet that golden descending ray. Feel ourselves freed by that light of all the conflicting, confining self-consciousness of ego. It's still there, but it no longer binds us. Our consciousness is now is entirely one with that infinite ray. Shift your sense of identity from the body and the ego and all its little concerns to that infinite light. See how it is that divine light which illuminates the small self giving it the appearance of life and substance. But oneself, I am defined by that infinite light. Trace that light to its source. Rise on wings of inner freedom, lifting through the clouds, So the view of the sun is unobscured there at the point between the eyebrows. See the great light of the sun as the spiritual eye. Memorize, imprint upon your consciousness this doorway to the light. So no matter what cloudy conditions of thoughts or fears or external setbacks may appear to obscure the light, memorize the way the rays of light can break through those conditions Bathe our upturned consciousness and penetrate beyond all limiting conditions 
lifting us into itself. Now please affirm with me, I am the divine light. Shining into everything that I undertake in life. Filling it with bliss and truth. I am the divine light. Shining into everything that I undertake in life. Filling it with bliss and truth. I am the divine light, shining into everything that I undertake in life, filling it with bliss and truth. Om. Peace. Amen. Good evening, all. So we are now up to Lesson four, although I have a few little tiny notes from lesson three, (laughs) but I'm going to try to go to lesson four. You really got the brunt last week of, you know, the fresh moment of talking. I was so involved in things that I had just learned. I left afterwards, I had a few questions and I, this is still back on chapter lesson three, because there were just a couple more points. To me, it seemed like there was so much in lesson three that is the defining reality of why people succeed and fail, that I just really wanted to stay with it. And there was one small point that it seemed really important because he talked in that chapter about... It's, he, he had that section where he said, it's not just a question of how hard you work because there are lots of drudges in the world who just keep working hard, but they never, they never work successfully. And the the difference that I was just thinking of in that is that when you are inspiringly connected to where you're going, then the inspiration of where you're going saves you from just working as a drudge because you you, may, you have to make some connection. And this, this was the point that I wanted. I think I emphasized it enough, but I wanted to make sure it was really strong. I've seen so many people not succeed even though they've worked really hard to visualize their goal, and they have all these systems for visualizing their goal, but no system for visualizing the steps in between. And, and it's all about, you know, I was told I was going to be a great healer, I feel I'm going to be a great healer, I saw the image of I'm going to be a healer, I know this product will be a success, and there's all this energy there, but there's almost like an aversion to the place in the middle. And that's where Thomas Edison said that genius is one part inspiration and 99% perspiration, meaning which is all the hard work in between. But then Swami makes it, he, he conditions that a little bit because that's when he says just merely being a drudge is not the same as being a success because there has to be lightness There has to be upward-moving light in all of those actions. There has to be a passion for the hard work, really. The the passion can't be just for arriving at the goal. I I was struck by this so powerfully once when a friend of mine worked very hard to start a business and there was all the stuff that people do to get all ready to start. And then the whole enterprise fizzled out because the entire premise of the project was based on on, on phone, on the telephone. The woman was phobic about the telephone. And never once in that entire process did they visualize themselves, I guess, on the phone, which is what the entire job really amounted to. Which is, I mean, that sounds naive, doesn't it? But it's like we think where we're going, but we don't realize that these are the steps that always have to get there. But those steps also have to be inspired or else it's just drudgery. And if we have anxiety about those steps, then we don't have inspiration. While we, we don't think of the right things to do. I mean, one way people put it is you not only have to work hard, but you have to work smart. And what I would call working smart is working inspired. 
And, and so we have to, this is what I was saying last week, and I won't reemphasize this so much, but you have to be really, really enthusiastic about how, what it is to get there. And this is, you know, the road that takes you there. If you're only enthusiastic about the goal, you really never walk the road. And, and so many people are taught, even, only to be enthusiastic about the goal as if it's going to be automatic. But it isn't. And that's why so many people who start out don't succeed, because they don't want to walk. And, you know, every single, absolutely every enterprise has, a, has extremely dull, boring parts to it. There's just no question about it. Now, a lot of the answer to that, I realize, comes out of here. And it, it comes right out of the affirmation. When it says, this is what it says, I am the divine light shining into everything that I undertake in life, filling it with bliss and truth. Now, I was, as I, we were reading this, I was remembering years ago uh, a woman who was really trying hard to find her place in life. What am I supposed to do? Very, very creative person, but a little bit too um, bound by likes and dislikes. You know, just a little bit too conscious of being a creative person and too conscious of using their talents and, you know, that sort of thing, like we can be. I'm a little too ego-bound. I mean, the person wasn't any more ego-bound than the average soul, but the ego was a motivator. And the thought was, I'm, I, want, I want to find that to do which will inspire me. So always looking for that which will inspire me. Swami's answer was very interesting. He said, uh, what you do will give energy back to you to the extent with, to which you give energy to it. He said, instead of waiting for something to inspire you, he said, be inspired about what you're doing or do what you're doing in an inspired way. Now, that's where I'm waiting here. I'm the divine light shining into everything I undertake. Now, I, I have the light within me and I direct that light into what I'm working on, whatever I'm asked to do, whether it's phone sales or cleaning houses or uh, whatever it might be we tend to take too passive an attitude and we're waiting for it to uplift us. Whereas the fact of the matter is, and this is again what Swami wrote, he said, you, if you first give energy to it, you're waiting for it to give energy to you. And so you stand there waiting for something to give you energy. But the whole point is, if you give your energy out to whatever it is that's in front of you, then all of a sudden the energy is flowing. And I've observed this so many times over the years of people trying to sort of find a way to serve, find a way to help. And oftentimes people have enormous talents, and yet somehow it's hard to get those talents integrated. Um, And there's many reasons for this, and I'm not going to say this is the only reason. But so often it's just necessary to give energy to whatever's in front of you to do. I know when... uh, David, years before he came to Ananda, um, he had a restaurant in Denver. It was the last thing he did before he moved into Ananda Village, so this was 25 or 30 years ago. And he was the owner of the restaurant, and he took, it was a, a coffee house restaurant, you know, not a formal restaurant. And uh, he, he took upon himself the job of cleaning the bathrooms of that restaurant. And he just cleaned those bathrooms as if his life depended on it. You know, just went in there every day and just cleaned every square inch of those bathrooms until they absolutely shone. It was never, there was never thought in his mind that I'm the owner of the restaurant, I hire somebody to do this. You know, I'm too important, this isn't my work. It was partly he did it, well, partly he did it because if you're the owner of the restaurant, you do all the work you possibly can yourself because otherwise you go out of business paying other people to do things. He also did it because he knew that you give absolute maximum energy to every aspect of what you're doing and then it will start giving energy back to you. And anything, any corner of it that we don't shine our light into, then that remains dark and it remains a sort of downward pulling reality to what we're doing. It's an example to other employees, but it's also an exercise within ourselves Because what this lesson is about, and this lesson in essence is about whether the energy is rising or sinking in the spine. And whether energy is rising or sinking in the spine is the definition of whether we're clear-minded about what we're doing, whether we're cheerful about what we're doing, whether we're exuding magnetism that attracts or repels. 
And Swamiji sort of goes into this a little bit and then says, you know, these are deep truths that are not entirely relevant, but in our uh, meaning that they, they act upon us, but we can't go into the philosophical implications of everything. But in our context where we're, we're studying this among yogis and people who have some understanding of this, it's, it's an extremely, what's more than extremely important, it's really pretty much everything. Because all of life is really about whether the energy is flowing up the spine or down the spine. Of course, the energy circulates in the spine. I'm not talking about it just going up and up forever. But what we're talking about is whether the general magnetism of your energy is always pulling energy up, or whether your general magnetism is causing energy to sink. And life can become... There's there's many templates that you can lay over your life's experience... And, and some very simple templates will work, and this is one of them. Is the energy flowing up or is the energy flowing down? Now, if we're subtle about this, and we, uh, what I was starting to say is the whole spiritual path is that, is that direction of energy. And when we learn more deeply how to meditate, and especially how to do Kriya Yoga, what is the practice of Kriya? It's to strengthen the flow of energy in the the spine, interiorize that flow. In other words, separate it from the being subject to external conditions and then make that interior magnetism so strong that the energy becomes, that the lower chakras become um, subservient to the higher spiritual centers. That's what Swamiji means by the energy flowing upward. Because as I was saying, it circulates. We, it, we understand that. It doesn't stop flowing. But it's a question of which of the chakras control that flow of energy. When you, when you look around at people, Swamiji sort of comments about this, you can, you can tell what, what chakras dominate in their lives. And we know it from our own experience. You know, there's times when... Um, Wrong attitude, sensual oversensuality, or uh, egoic willfulness, or or fear, or contractiveness, dominate our consciousness. And whatever energy flows into us, the those uh, vibrations of the lower chakras tend to tend to consume all of that energy. Isn't that experiences that we've all had? Perhaps we become very anxious about something. Somebody treats us uh, in a way that we feel is unfair. We become obsessively concerned about it. And in other words, the ego-defined self-definition, which Swami talks about, and I'll talk about a little bit more in a moment, you know, of what about me? What's going to happen to me? Why aren't people taking care of me? All this inward sucking, contractive is the word he uses, this contractive energy, um, uh, activates the lower chakras, which are um, what hold us into this limited materialistic point of view. And when those chakras dominate, the energy flow gets distorted. I, I've always thought of it like there's a delivery truck and it has a certain um, sort of load of energy that it's going to deliver to us, life force. And as Master teaches us in the energization exercises, it actually enters in through the medulla, and then it circulates through the chakras. And the chakras more or less have standing orders for a certain percentage of that energy. And as it circulates through, the little delivery system drops off a certain amount of that energy in the standing orders that exist in all those chakras that are sort of keeping their own reality alive. And so by the time the energy circulates back to the spiritual eye, it can be greatly diminished because so much of it has been consumed by those vrittis, those standing orders. And sometimes, you know, one of those uh, lesser aspects of our nature, less expansive aspects of our nature, throws a big party and just invites everybody and just sucks the whole truckload right into it. Isn't that so? And sometimes those parties can go on for days or weeks or months And then all of our energy, the feeling of our energy, is that it's continually flowing downward. Of course, there's always some left, but it it tends to just get sucked in there. And it's it's really what it's doing. It's just draining out. There's holes. There's it's coming out. It's it's being dissipated through these thoughts and feelings just out into the universe, 
on levels that are less ultimately satisfying for us. This is how Swami describes it. You know, true success um, is when we are uplifted and not merely rewarded, but that we're also inwardly uplifted. Now, it's a, it's a very subtle um, system in the sense that when our, when our consciousness becomes contracted and the, the ego is... Uh, he, he, he writes about the ego in this chapter in a very, very interesting way, which is very important to understand, that the ego is also the, the self-awareness that is egoic consciousness is also an essential element of spiritual growth. Because, as he points out, if we don't have the self-awareness to be able to objectively consider our, our happiness or our sorrow and be able to, to observe the process of what makes us happy or sad. And he uses the, the lower animals as an example of this. First he goes you know, below a vertebrate where it just doesn't have the self-awareness to evaluate anything. It simply eats, dies, you know, then gets another body and then eats and then dies again without ever being able to stand back and say, you know, lo, I am eating and dying and I wonder if there's something else that there's, it's possible to do. There's just not sufficient objective awareness to be able to do that. You see, as animals begin to develop, they have a little more sense. And, you know, they, they do all these different experiments with different animals. How much can they be taught? Can the rat really understand that the food comes out here and the electric shock comes out here? And he can remember his experiences sufficiently to begin to be able to make decisions based on what he perceives to be his own well-being. But still, the rat, rat can't sort of speculate as to why I, among all the rat population, am in this little cage when my brothers and sisters are running free in the meadows, you know. Am I truly better off in this little cage? It's just, he can't think like that. Um, dogs are smarter. Some dogs, not all dogs, but some dogs are smarter. right? And human beings... Because we have this self-awareness, this very self-concern, which as we progress becomes um, the enemy of our happiness, is also absolutely essential to our spiritual progress. Because unless we can put forth the objective understanding that my experience of suffering or bliss is related to my own actions... My own actions are a determining factor in my fate. I mean, how many people who have egos, human beings and human bodies, have zero consciousness of the cause and effect relationship of what they're doing? I had this experience years ago when uh, a a man uh, who was in jail over here in San Mateo County contacted us because he wanted to learn Kriya Yoga. And so we got permission to go into the San Mateo jail, and I'd never been into a San Mateo jail, Redwood City jail. I'd never been into a jail before, and this jail was like something out of the movies. Um, you know, just the holding tanks with the bars, like just there, and the, the aisle down the middle, and the guys standing there holding on to the bars, you know, because everything was so boring that somebody came down the aisle. I mean, I'd never have walked so carefully down the absolute center of an aisle <laughs> You know, I was a little freaked. I relaxed after a while. But people just standing there, like, pushing with, against those bars. You could just feel everything about them was pushing against those bars. But, of course, they couldn't. I don't mean that they were physically trying to bend them, but they were just bursting to get out of those places. But walking down there, it was so amazing to me because it was pretty obvious that everybody who was behind those bars, as soon as they got out, was going to do exactly what put them behind those bars. They were going to do it again. What, what, what they were bursting to do was all the things that they'd been incarcerated for. You could, you could just feel it, that they were behind those bars, they were going to get free, they were going to go out and do it again, and they were going to end up right behind those bars. It was just like they were a long way from having figured out the cause and effect relationship of what they were doing. But, but it also was obvious to me that I was no less bound, I was just bound in a very different way. And that that the restraints of my greater self-awareness had been put over um, 
certain egoic inclinations. You know, my my ego was not manifesting in terms of trying to get things I couldn't buy or or, t- or get inebriated or drunk or angry, you know, like some of those people were dealing with. But But nonetheless, on the level that I was living, it was still my... Um, undisciplined impulses were trying to break out of the uh, the restraints I had put them in, and many times they would break those bars. And as soon as they broke those bars of of restraint, the ego would act out in ways that would cause me to be even more bound again. Do you understand what I mean? And I didn't really feel that different from them. I just felt that we were all following this. Um, cycle of cause and effect. But of course, we reach a certain point, and especially by the time you're sitting in here and thinking about the spiritual path, where we recognize really where the, um, what it is that imprisons us. And what imprisons us is our very commitment to that idea of self. And it's a very it's a very interesting transition spiritually because you see, you have to bring the ego up to a certain point of strength in order to get to the point where you can objectify your life sufficiently with enough refinement to recognize you want to be on the spiritual path. And then once you get on the spiritual path, you have to realize that the very tool that brought you to that point has now become what you have to put aside. And it's, it's, very, um, it's a very subtle transition. And Swamiji writes about it in here. He uses the words. Um, how does he say it? Well, I mean, I, let me see if I can find the exact words and if I can't. But what he, what he says is, it's simply gradually that we want to be bigger than that ego allows us to be. That there's a point where we enjoy, yes, We must desire freedom from self-involvement and desire to relinquish the delusion of self-importance, is how he puts it. Swamiji, this weekend, the question was asked him, you know, what do you tell people who are, I don't know how it was phrased, but, you know, are having a really good time and enjoying themselves in all these different ways in life? How do you persuade them to get on the spiritual path? He says, well, you don't. (laughs) You just leave them to just do what they want to do. Because unless unless a person himself or herself recognizes that that egoic satisfaction is no satisfaction at all, you're not really going to discipline the energy to transcend it. And, and that's where the discipline of the spiritual path gets... It's so interesting. One of the most astonishing things watching Swami Kriyananda at this last weekend, which you can see when you watch it on the film even, is he's so humble without in any way being self-effacing or weak. You know, so often people's humility has no energy behind it. They'll try to be humble, and the way they'll try to be humble is by um, erasing their energy. You know, not being dynamic or not being fully present or fully giving you know, just sort of this fear, and maybe it's a, sometimes it's a necessary stage where you have to restrain your energy because if you don't restrain it, it goes out in ways you don't want. But then you see Swamiji having come through the whole circle of the whole thing, and he's so strong and so powerful, and so he, he claims everything um, that he is, but so casually... There's just no uh, residual sense of importance. I was, it was epitomized to me by the time the whole thing was over and he, he, after an hour and a half, he gets up and he's sort of escorted off and just before he goes out of sight and everybody's standing and applauding, he turns, he kind of goes like that. He just waves, but he, it was just a small gesture, but the whole gesture was just like the gesture of a child, just sort of waving goodbye. There was just no sense of, well, I certainly just created a great triumph, didn't I, you know, and just energy like that. It was just bye-bye. And he came out the same way his first comment was. He said he, he, he felt like, you know, after this huge build-up and the cymbals crashing and the orchestra playing, as he put a little mouse just scurries out on stage, that's how he felt. You know, there was what, what was to be expected after all that, and it was just him coming out. But he didn't say it in any way that was affected. You know, there was no effort 
to make himself not important. It was just so transparent to him that he wasn't. But still, all that manifests through him. Now, this question of egoic involvement and egoic importance is critical to the question of success. Swamiji says if we are egoically involved and pushing ourselves forward, we can indeed in time be successful. But then he describes, he says, um, that that kind of success that has come from what really what it, the way you want to think about it, because Master has this beautiful image, or Swami has articulated it, which is that the, the ego takes the ocean wave and identifies with the wave and then just tries to push that wave up as high as possible in relation to the ocean. Which you would, you would think that that would be sort of what you're trying to do. You're trying to be this big wave. But the master tries to stay as close to the ocean as possible. Because if you really think about it, the wave is really small and extremely temporary. And also its position is always tenuous, isn't it? No matter how powerfully that wave rises, the nature of the wave that it is that it will go up and then absolutely it has to come down because it is merely a manifestation of the energy rising from the sea. And, you know, the waves compete with one another is how Swami often describes it. And you, we, you can just sort of see it. The one wave is rising itself up and it's looking around and it sees that there's a few that are higher and it tries to get a little bigger and it sees one coming closer and it kind of tries to crash against it and it tries to have a little more foam than the others and tries to get a little farther up the beach. I mean, all of these things take longer than the cycle of one wave. It can be one whole incarnation that's all based on trying to just get that wave really where it's trying to be. And we all know that feeling of, you know, just sort of, well... Look at this wave. You know, look how pretty it is. Look how young, look how powerful, look how talented it is. Boy, it really showed them, didn't it? You know, just all these different things that the wave thinks. Even if the wave is attempting to be modest and all of that. But there's this, this feeling that we all know where we, we think it's going to satisfy us to keep pulling that energy in and making that wave stronger and more distinct. And it, it's only after we do that a lot of times, either a lot of times in one lifetime or through a lot of incarnations. And Swami repeatedly sort of does, you know, lists these quotes from very famous people about how they get everything and he's always telling us that it's not really going to satisfy us and you know, part of us, like, what is it, Mae West, who said, I've been rich and I've been poor and rich is better. <laughs> you know? I think it's easy for you to say, but we still have this wantingness of it, which is a, a whole different issue. But what we're really working here is the overall question of the direction of our energy. Now, the Master, by contrast, and Swami told this story on Friday night, he often tells it about sitting there at Master's feet when he was doing something, when he was dictating, and Swamiji was just so filled with this sense of profound uh, respect and appreciation for being Yogananda's disciple. And then Master wanted Swami to really understand. And so when he was helping him out of his chair, and a few minutes later, Yogananda looked at Swamiji and said simply, just a bulge on the ocean. Isn't it such a, it's such a beautiful way to look at it because he was a bulge. You know, there really was a Yogananda. There really is each one of who we are. But, but the more we live in, in identification with that whole and the more we take all that energy that has always been asking, what about me, what about me, and use it to be more and more conscious of the ocean. Now Swamiji also describes this just in terms of success. When we only are living in the reality of what our little self-concern tells us, we're not nearly as wise as we are when we're using that same energy to be conscious of the whole. We don't have the same intuition. We don't have the same perspective. We, we don't have the same wisdom. Because if we're only thinking about ourselves and what concerns us, it's a very limited reality. But if the direction of our energy has always been expansively 
to identify and experience as much of consciousness and creation and the universe as we can, then in a very practical matter, when we have to make a business decision, when we, we need to know how to relate to people, when we need the intuition to know wh- whom to hire and uh, whom to fire, we have a broader base for all of that understanding. Now, all of this, again, is about the direction of the energy flowing up and down the spine. The expansive direction is when the energy is rising because the, the more it rises and the closer it comes to, toward the spiritual eye, the more we are drawing in and infusing everything we do with that higher level of energy. So Swamiji writes in here, lesson four, the importance of right attitude and, and talking with, with great energy about those attitudes which cause the energy to go up. Um, let, me, let me bring this back for just a moment. You know, the battle for success and prosperity and whatever it might be is really, uh, 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 really takes place on a much smaller battlefield than we think. And, and this ex- astonishing story with which he starts the lesson of the man who, you know, d- discovered a rich vein of gold, converted that gold, sold the claim, and converted it into cash, came back to his little cabin. And then when he went out for the evening, his wife stored the cash in the wood stove because they seldom had enough wood to light a fire. The man came in late at night, thought now that they were rich, they could have a fire, and he threw some wood in and he burned up all the money. I mean, just like, if you actually put yourself, and it's a true story, if you actually put yourself there and just imagine how you would feel. This is like years and years of backbreaking work. He finally strikes it rich and it's all burned up. I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do. The dollar bills have turned into ashes and they're gone. But his energy, I mean, that is a recipe for the energy sinking, isn't it? I mean, just think how quickly consciousness would go into, well, what about me? I've worked so hard. I've tried so hard to make this happen. I finally got a little bit of luck. Isn't it just like my luck to have everything go wrong like this? What do all those ideas do? I mean, just think about them. How can you articulate the ideas, those ideas? The only way you can say them is like this, isn't it? If you were an actress or an actor and you had to say, well, what about me? Every time I try something, it always happens like this. and I just don't know why it goes like this, but it always does, doesn't it? You know, isn't that how you would have to say it? You couldn't stand there and say, I don't know why it always goes like this, but every time I try something, it just something seems to go wrong. Doesn't it seem to go wrong? I mean, it would be just like the director would say, cut, cut, you know, you can't have that part. Don't you have any idea how to express angst, you know? But look at the difference between that. And, and you know, the, the way that things work on a subtle level is not really obscure. It's exactly the way it works on a small level. Like, how attractive is it when people come up to you and say, oh, let me tell you about what happened to me yesterday. And so we got into all this trouble, and then this thing happened. And then my wife, she burned up all the money. It's, it's like, do you say, oh, please, let me spend the rest of the afternoon just hearing the story over and over again. Like, your inclination to give is not really great, is it? You don't want to give your time, you don't want to give your money, you don't want to give your energy. But if somebody comes up to you with, with, you know, power behind them, even to tell you the same story, you won't believe what happened. All these years of work, I was working at it so hard, and then it all got wiped out, you know? Just it all got wiped out. There's so much magnetism, isn't there, in that? Even as you say it, you begin to laugh. Swamiji has those superconscious living exercises. I'm awake and ready. I'm positive, energetic, enthusiastic. Be glad, my brain, be wise, be strong. Every time I teach those, have taught them, like to meditation one classes, I love to teach them to meditation one classes because people come in, they don't really know where they are. You know, they're, they're, they're a little uneasy about the altar behind them. They're a little uneasy about a lot of different things. And, and as we grow up, you know, become adults, everybody's always a little conscious about me, aren't they? You know, I, I want to appear to be a little suave. I want to be dressed right. I don't want to look like an idiot. 
I, I need to behave in a certain way. And so then I say, everybody out of your seats. I'm awake and ready. And you see people going, I'm awake and ready. <laughs> and then you get to, I'm positive, energetic, enthusiastic. And it's like, you know, and I promise them there's no cameras. And everybody's doing it. But as soon as people allow themselves, but the other thing that happens is everybody begins to laugh. And as soon as you begin to laugh, it's very, very difficult to remain um, excessively self-concerned. Now, one of the things Swami says in here, keep your sense of humor. Isn't that interesting? Keep your sense of humor. And the reason he wants you to keep your sense of humor is because if you can keep your sense of humor, you can usually figure out a way to get the energy back up again. It's really, the whole thing is one project. And that project is to keep your energy expansive, flowing up, instead of contractive and flowing down. Because everything happens from the direction of energy in the spine. And your, your absolute worst enemy is when the energy begins to sink. Somewhere a master says, he talks about all the benefits of a smile, and he says, if you're feeling down and you have difficulty smiling, stand in front of the mirror and lift the corners of your mouth and hold them up, he says. <laughs> He says, it's that important. But what he's talking about is not that you look good to the world. It's that if you can get the corners of your mouth to spontaneously go up, it's because the energy is rising. Right. And and Master went so so far as to say, whenever you're down and depressed, he said, Satan has a hold of you. And and it's, it's quite contrary to a great deal of what people teach these days, where they talk about how important it is to experience all levels and not to deny the dark side and... Yes, it's important not to be afraid of anything. It's also important not to be dishonest about how you feel. But once you know how you feel, you then have to decide, what is going to help me? You know, is it going to help me to just sort of know how depressed and how discouraged I am and how traumatized I've been and how all the things that friends happen to us. They just happen to us. But if we continue by allowing those experiences to pull our energy down, what we actually create is a downward-sucking spiral of energy. And even the little bit of good karma that we have, as soon as it meets that downward-sucking vortex, there it goes, you know? And the other side of it, and this is what he writes about with that minor, there was a little, whatever good energy he had, when it meets the upward spiral, then then there's something for that good energy, that good karma, which is to say your, your past actions, it's something for it to feed on and to go forward. Almost everyone who succeeds mightily also fails a lot, or at least a few times. Almost no one has a straight trajectory, and if they do, it's just put off until a later lifetime before they go up and down. But those who succeed are those who have changed the nature of the project from just success to the actual everyday effort to keep the energy flowing. I laughed. I heard some prosperity man speak. Somebody wanted to hear, wanted me to hear him, and he said, I, I really liked this. He said, you know, I went bankrupt. I had all this money, and then this and this happened, and I went back bankrupt, and that night I slept just like a baby. Every two hours I woke up and cried myself to sleep again. <laughs> Which I really appreciated. Yes, Henry, wait, use the use the recorder, please. Okay, just speak into that because then it goes onto the recorder. Show him the part that's the magnet. I don't know if this is that's perfect. Really okay. worth immortalizing anyway, but <laughs> whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, can you comment on the one of the issues uh, that we all have to deal with is that a lot of the energy in the environment is down. Uh-huh. The environment that we find ourselves in. Yeah. And I think, I'm, I mean, I can imagine the answer, but I thought maybe you had some, no, it's worth some tips. Well, what you're basically saying, Henry, is that nobody's helping us right now. You know, this is uh, the, whole, the whole idea that we should stay close to the ocean and not try to be a big wave is not a popular wisdom right now. Everything in our culture is about... Um, lifting up the self and making the self more and more important and all you know there's it's a very it's very rajasic it's very outwardly active and it's very ego oriented 
That happens to be the age we live in, and that happens to be the country we're living in, that happens to be the planet we're on. The planet we're on is um, fulfilling your desires, making yourself comfortable, making yourself important, and uh, defining all of that almost entirely materialistically. Now, simultaneously, there's this other wave, which is the newer, the newer dimension that's beginning to permeate the planet. But the whole attitude of this planet, it's a rajasic, outward, active planet. It's a materialistic, outward, active planet. You know, there are better planets than this one, but we just didn't rate it right now. It wasn't going to be good for us. So it's extremely important. It's not a self-evident fact, or just, it's not something to pass over lightly. We must understand that very little is going to help us in this direction, and a tremendous amount is going to uh, militate against what we're trying to do. Just almost no one uh, in the general populace really, really understands. That's why we have churches now. And people say, oh, I'm not in, I don't like organized religion, I don't like groups, this is self-realization, I'm going to do it myself. I say, fine, good luck, is about all I can say. Because this is an age in which this is such a minority point of view that unless we have reinforcing energy, it's extremely easy to, to just wander off and not even know you're wandering off. I joked once with Swamiji about something or another and he said, well, yes, you do live, and forgive me, but this is what he said, out in the spiritual boondocks, don't you, sir? And I said, yes, sir. I mean, just, I just live in this world where, uh, I mean, I call Palo Alto refined, intelligent, energetic, educated people's last desperate effort to get satisfaction from the material plane. You know, it's like we've got all the tools now, this time it's really going to work. And they do it with good taste, they do it with refinement, uh, you know, they do it with generosity. It's, it's a very positive place to live. But in some ways it's almost worse because it's still that final thought. This time we're going to get it right and it's going to give us ultimate satisfaction. Yes, this wave we're going to lift and it is going to stay up. Just look at this. I joke with my friends, what do you, what do you want? You know, anything that you want to buy or experience within five minutes of this temple, you can, you know, bread from Europe, no problem, you know, flown in fresh from Paris every day, newspapers from around the world, fashions, art, it's just here, all this energy focused in, so it's very, very hard, very hard to separate out inwardly, what to speak of outwardly, but even inwardly, it's very hard to separate out and make your, your personal value system completely different than that. And gosh, we need help. We really need help from our friends. And we also, you have to be very, very careful what we expose ourselves to. We can't just sort of randomly walk around and constantly uh, bombard ourselves with uh, downward pulling images and imagine that it's not going to affect us. And if we do find ourselves um, over and over again succumbing to the temptations which are everywhere... We have to at least, as Swamiji says, mentally resist. But above all, we need good company because several things will happen. This is a very subtle vibration. And the vibration of self-aggrandizement and downward-pulling egoic-based energy is not subtle. It's, it's easy to experience, and the pleasures of it are self-evident. And the, the pleasure of ego transcendence is like it's a little tiny little whisper like this. And you just get in that other crowd and it just gets eaten up. And you don't, you don't even remember that you, that you don't remember what it feels like and you don't remember that you've lost it. This is how people start out so enthusiastic on the spiritual path and then just wander away. Because if you don't, and I mean, I, I don't, there's one, there's one of these things, you can't persuade people. When people announce to me, I'm not a joiner, I just don't, I don't lie, I don't participate in groups. I say, fine, you know, go ahead, don't participate in groups. But what you're really saying is, I'm not going to have any, uh, any reminders. I refuse to have any reminders. I'm just going to stay in whatever vibrations I want and imagine that I can hold on to this. You have to keep coming back to whatever uh, source you can find. And I've seen it just over and over and over again over years. People go off to do it on their own. But what happens is, they don't even know what they've lost. Because it's too subtle. They can't keep a hold of it. 
And they'll maybe wander back after 10 or 20 years or five years or six years and then they'll just sort of like, oh yeah, I remember this. And sometimes they're, they're too far out of it. They can't even feel it when they come back. But let me think what I was wanting to say there. Or, ah, I know the other. If you live with very, very short people, you can feel like you're quite tall. You know, so sometimes people will, and I don't mean any of this unkindly, I'm just being factual. People will not expose themselves sufficiently to really elevate its spirituality and then they will just have a little tiny, teeny bit, but it'll be more than is going on around them. And they'll imagine that they're really um, doing a great deal. I mean, that's why the presence of Swamiji in our life is so such an extraordinary age because you see him over and over again show us either by the prodigious creativity or the, um, or the refinement of one small thing that he does or the vibration that he puts out, whatever it might be, whether it doesn't have to be even in his presence, he shows us what it really looks like. And, and then you can see what it really looks like and when you know what it really looks like, then you have a point of reference. And it, it, it's not discouraging, at least I don't think it's discouraging, I think it's quite cheering, you know, to sort of have that always in front of us. Um, the other aspect of this, which is even quite apart from environment, and Yogananda said, and you have to hear it, environment is stronger than willpower. And he said, and Swami says it in here, he says, above all, keep the company of those who have... Uh, Make good company your priority, he said. There's another way to keep a consistently good attitude. Make good company your priority. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Make it your priority. Mix more and mix attentively with people whose attitude in life is basically positive, whose willpower is strong, and who at least try to face their difficulties cheerfully. And then he goes on to say, avoid negative people like a disease, which in fact their negativity is. Because Yogananda said, whether your energy goes upward toward God or outward toward um, the materialism as a source of satisfaction depends primarily on the company you keep. Isn't that an interesting statement? And of course he also means inwardly. Because when he was saying that, one of the disciples said, but what if I'm alone? And Master said, am I not always with you? So it isn't just a question of the human company you keep. It's also, what company are you keeping inside? And I mean, just ask yourself in the course of a day, what company am I keeping? Am I keeping the company of the movie that I saw last week in which I run through all of those characters? Am I keeping the company of the novel I read in which I think about all the events? Am I keeping the company of a chant that I've just learned? Am I keeping the company of a mantra? Am I keeping the company of Master's eyes in front of me? Am I keeping the sound of Swami's voice? What company am I keeping? Because what company we keep, that's what we become. It's really self-evident, isn't it? Whatever vibrations we... When, every so often when I cook, I'll cook with, with garlic or onion. And you can rub your hands on stainless steel and get it off. But if I forget to... I'll just be somewhere and, you know, I'll say, I'll go like that and all of a sudden I'll think, you know, what is that? Well, I was keeping the company of garlic and onions and when my hand moves across, then all of a sudden I have that company again. And it's not a particularly pleasant thing to have happen. But if we keep the company, if we allow those materialistic influences and you have to be um, realistic with ourselves. I mean, it's, it's a hard world that we're living in and sometimes our own people are the people <laughs> that we would rather not keep company with. So we have to keep company inside. But we should definitely minimize influences as much as we can. But I mean, someone asked Swamiji once a very simple question, how much discipline is the right amount of discipline? And he said, you should discipline yourself as much as you can as long as it's a joyful experience. And at the point at which you become somewhat angry and resentful, he said, back up again until you're enjoying it again. Um, Gandhi put it this way. He said, you should never renounce a pleasure until you have replaced it with something you enjoy more. <laughs> a higher pleasure, he called it. In other words, you, you need to build realistically upon your own understanding, but never minimize the danger. 
And for that reason, as Swamiji said, always at least, if you're not able to actually resist in your actions, at least try to mentally resist. Always keep a portion of you watching yourself do the wrong thing. And always sort of keep the company of Divine Mother and both of you watch yourself do the wrong thing. You know, so that you're keeping good company even as you're keeping bad company. Because you can't hide it anyway. That's the um, ridiculous part of it all. Oh, I know the last point I wanted to say, and, and this is, um, you know, this is the up and down energy in the spine. Uh, all the spiritual epics are wars. The Bhagavad Gita is a war. It's not a, uh, like everybody sits down and has tea together and Professor Krishna tells us the story. It's way out there on the battlefield and, man, people are slicing each other to bits with these fierce weapons and, you know, taking fearsome oaths to destroy one another and, and you know, sons are being murdered. And I mean, it is, it's a gruesome story when you read the whole Mahabharata. Man, oh man, it's just something else. And Arjuna's young son is lured into this and by nefarious means all the warriors surround him and hack him to bits and Arjuna swears that he's going to get revenge and he spends the whole day trying to get to the one who killed his son and Krishna finally has to intervene and then he hacks him to bits. I mean, it's woo. It's not for sissies. And uh, most of the great epics, all the great epics, even just the story of Jesus Christ, you know, it was, it's a, that's quite a tale, isn't it? That's no walk in the park. That's really something's happening because that's what it's like. That's it, really what it's like. The energy is trying to flow downward and we're trying to lift the energy upward. And it is, it's this point of tension. And I remember I actually said this to Swami. This was not my shining hour. Essentially, I said I would be much happier if life weren't so hard. If it just if it were just easier, it wouldn't it would be so much I would just be so much better off if it just weren't so hard. He didn't he didn't say anything. He he, he kept his expression completely impassive and he just looked at me. I mean I what what can you say? I want it to be different. I don't want to have to, to really be a battle. I just want it to be easy. I don't want to have temptation. I want my karma to be different. How could you even dignify that with a response? I mean, I just sat there and I sort of acted the little tantrum out. and <laughs> Then I got up and went away. But I, it, we all feel that way, don't we? And we just, we wish that it would just flow upward and not flow downward. <laughs> Good luck. But that's where he says right here, the importance of right attitude. And he tells us that incredible story of the man who... who found gold, lost it all, and went out the same day and did it again. And then he tells another story there about the three, three people who were climbing the mountain and one of them smashed on the rocks. And the second one insisted to the third, we've got to finish climbing this mountain or we'll never have the courage to do it again. I mean, it, it's a, uh, whatever that word is, proverb, what's the word? Cliche, to say as soon as you fall off the horse, you have to get back on it again. But it, there's a lot of truth in it. And Swami gives a very interesting explanation for it, which is he says when karma hits us, it's like a wave. You know how, how a wave will come and it'll come way up like this. And then it'll, it'll, it'll crash and then it'll gradually get lower and lower. Isn't that so? So when, karma, when waves of karma hit us, they come at us at a certain height. They come like this at a certain height. And maybe we're just strolling along like this. And then all of a sudden this karmic wave washes over us like that. Or, or you know, we, we're meeting this karmic wave, whatever it is. He said, if in that moment you can raise your energy up to the height of that wave and just above it and go over it like that, he said, you can, you can work that out really quickly. He said, what most people do is the big karma hits us and we just keep backing up until the, and, and stay the same size until the karmic wave by time alone shrinks, and then when it finally gets smaller than us, we say, I've overcome it, right? But we didn't really overcome it. We just, you know, continued to exist until it was small enough to be absorbed into our tiny consciousness. But when, when adversity, which is what you would call a wave hitting you, hits, 
if you can rise up and meet it, then you make enormous karmic gains because you've really met the wave at the crest, meet it at the crest. I tell a story in my uh, book about Swamiji about, it was a very um, unusual situation at Ananda where a man had, um, he was married, but he met another woman at Ananda whom he felt profoundly was his true life partner. He tried for about seven years, I think it was seven years, to remain loyal to the woman he was married to. But after that period of time, he went to Swamiji and he said, this is not going away, this is not working, this is, I just don't want to do this. So Swami said, you know, I respect your sincere efforts to be dharmic. And Swami said, as he says so wisely, one can't always control the feelings of the heart. And so it was accepted that the marriage, the marriage would dissolve and the, the new couple would form. And the next day, because of course this is a community and people don't go anywhere, Swami made a suggestion that those two women, that he was having some kind of a dinner party and that maybe those two women could come over and help cook. And somebody said, excuse me, sir, do you know what happened yesterday? He said, oh yeah. He said, they're going to have to work it out sometime. He said, they might as well face it while they still remember he said, if they wait till another incarnation, they'll just have all this energy between them and they won't even know why. <laughs> he said, it said, if they meet it at the crest, especially the wife, the now ex-wife, if, they, if she meets it at the crest, then she can really overcome it. And he invited them over and she said later, the wife said later, she said, he believed that I could do it, so if he believed I could do it, I believed I could do it. She said, and it wasn't easy. She said, but there was this grace that came in. And she said, and it was just, you know, perfectly comfortable. She said, I had ups and downs afterwards. She said, but I sincerely believe because he challenged me to rise to the occasion, he said she felt the whole karma just was so much easier than it would have been if she had followed her natural inclination to shrink. You see, what what it is is the wave is rising up and we're all individuals and we're all separate and he's my wife and he's my husband and now he's not my husband and he's over here with this wave and there's all this. But the way you actually expand, oddly enough, the, the image is reversed now, is you go into, bigger into the ocean. And what difference does it make, you know, what the waves are doing if, if one is identified with the ocean? Well, this is if one can keep the energy rising. When one receives a great blow to one's ego and one's sense of self-definition and what I want and my desires, what happens? You don't normally say... My husband of 25 years has decided to leave me. He's in love with another woman and has been for quite some time. You know, that's not usually how you say it. It's usually said a lot more like this. You know, just a real, you're really crushed by it. But that's, that's what the energy does. But you, even just literally to make the statement with your head up. I have a friend of mine who had some very difficult karma to face, and he was very embarrassed. You know, you face not only your own embarrassment, but you face everybody else. I said, you know, Ananda's so forgiving. You have no idea. I said, stand up straight, lift your chin, look everyone in the eye, and in three days it'll be over, I promise you. And he had the courage to do it. He just did. He just walked around everywhere and just did not allow his ego to persuade him to fold up. He just stood perfectly straight and just went through everything, just looking everyone straight in the eye. And it just, it just went away. Because you meet it at the crest and you keep your energy up. That's what the old miner did. He met it at the crest and kept his energy up. And as a result, he magnetized an extraordinary result to himself. You know, this, um, this lesson goes in a really interesting way with what we were talking about last week about, um, you know, visualizing it. And what it started out with, visualizing all the steps in between and not just the end result. It doesn't matter what happens to us. It only matters what we become through what happens to us. And what we become is not like something that happens later. What we become is what we are in the moment when the events take place. And it, what's, what's so also absolutely marvelous about this is there's no um, external standard here. We're working only with the inner direction of our own energy. I had a... a Swamiji scolded me for something once. No, he scolded me more than once, but once when he scolded me. um, He looked right at me and he said, 
it was pretty tough what he told me. It was hard to hear. It was true, but it was hard to hear. And he said, and I don't want you to cry, just like that. So I opened my eyes really wide. <laughs> but it was, it was really interesting because it was really obvious to me that above all things what I wanted to do was cry. And, and what crying was, was basically collapsing in the face of this dismaying news. You know, that, oh, you know, you're not perfect and a lot of people have noticed. <laughs> that was basically what the news was. <laughs> In fact, it has reached crisis proportions, and so now it's been brought to my attention. Asha Swami is saying, but I just I watched the whole thing became about because what he was telling me wasn't news to me. I mean, we know our own faults. It wasn't even news to me that it had reached crisis proportions. But what what I watched was it all became about whether or not I was going to cry, and the crying was just like this almost overwhelming desire to sink into the misery of it. And not crying was this extremely difficult challenge to just keep my... It was almost like where my eyes were going to be. Just keeping my eyes up, and that's why I had to open them really wide. And I never did cry. I went through the whole thing, not even in private. I just held it because I could see, because he'd been so definite about it. And I've, I've rarely cried since then. It was really very interesting. It was like, you know, it was, that was the test. It was like... Um, Feeling guilty is not the same as changing. (laughs) Feeling bad about what you've done is often an excuse for not actually shifting your energy. Something has happened, and see how upset I am? And then also, energy collapses. But when energy collapses, you don't make progress. You know, you just get to have your energy collapse. And oftentimes, you miss the lesson. And of course, that doesn't mean we're never sad. I mean, you have to judge this realistically. But it's very interesting, isn't it? It was a very dynamic experience. But you see, that's moment by moment by moment. Which way is our energy going to flow? As long as the energy is flowing up, you're creating positive magnetism, and whatever negativity has invaded your space, whatever failure has invaded your space, whatever lack of success has invaded your space, you're, you're working actively against it. If you collapse into it, then not only do you have what just happened, but you also have all of that negative magnetism that you're going to have to work your way out of also. You see, otherwise, you just have the one wave. Isn't that interesting? So, the importance of right attitude, lesson number four. Okay, any comments or questions before we call it a night? Okay, I have a feeling that we're done with this lesson. So let's at least read Lesson 5, and if I review it and find that we're not done, then we won't be. (laughs) Okay? All right. Thank you all very much.